This is the NC Everything Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is a podcast that covers everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I'm your host, Curtis, and today we're going to take a deep dive into moonshine. Since this is episode one, I want to tell you a little bit more about the show. This is going to be a weekly podcast. If it has touched North Carolina in any way, it has a potential to get on the show. Due to coronavirus, the libraries and word of mouth are hard to come by right now. So what you get is a result of hours and hours of internet research. If I get something wrong, I do apologize. And lastly, I'm not an expert in any field related to this show. I'm just a regular guy who likes to learn, and I had an idea. I hope you enjoyed the show. And with that, let's get into some moonshine. Moonshine is just illegal, untaxed whiskey. And over the years, it's grown to have a lot of names. Moonshine has also been called blockade whiskey, white liquor, white lightning, corn liquor, pop skull, stump hole whiskey, 40 rod, shine, hooch, firewater, rot gut, branch water, kickapoo, happy sally, ruckus juice, joy juice, panther's breath, hillbilly pop, skull cracker, bush whiskey, stump, mule kick, cat daddy, cool water, old horsey, wildcat, rising shine, splow, and Mountain Dew. And yes, according to my research, Mountain Dew was meant to be a mixer for whiskey. The name was a deliberate marketing tool. Now, I don't know how many of you listening have had real deal moonshine, but I've had a fair share over the years. I've had some really bad moonshine that kind of feels like swallowing rocks. It makes your stomach hurt and your eyes water. It's usually peach or apple flavored stuff. I don't really like the flavored stuff anyway, and a lot of people who try to make flavored moonshine really don't know how to do it very well. But I've also had some really, really good stuff. I paid $30 a gallon for it, and it's the kind of stuff you can barely feel it when it goes down, and you don't even realize you're drunk until you try to get up and walk around. And no, I can't hook anybody up. I got this from a friend of a friend who was a cousin of the moonshiner himself. I made a point not to ever actually meet the man. I know it's all cloak and dagger, but I just want to get drunk. I didn't want to go to jail. So let's get into the history of the stuff. Moonshining comes with a certain vocabulary. So bootlegger is the seller of the illegal whiskey. They say it originated with the mandate against the sale of alcohol to Native Americans, and of course people would hide it in their bootlegs. The moonshiner was the producer of the alcohol, and the people who transported it were called runners or blockaders. And I read that this is most likely a nod to the rum runners during the Civil War. And the people trying to stop the moonshiners, the law enforcement, they were nicknamed the revenuers. So moonshine started way back in the colonial days with Alexander Hamilton's whiskey tax of 1791. People began making their own liquor to avoid the tax revenue collection. But of course, most people know that the most famous time for moonshine was during Prohibition in the 1920s and 30s. And moonshining continued after the repeal of Prohibition and the establishment of the alcohol tax. People just don't want to pay taxes on alcohol. 
I can't say I blame them. You can make the stuff in your own backyard. You can grow carrots in your backyard and the government doesn't want to tax you on carrots. But despite the ban on liquor, there was a huge demand for it and there was a lot of people willing to go out and feed that demand. Before prohibition became law with the 18th Amendment, bootleggers traveled regular routes like milkmen. They would go door to door and deliver whiskey in bottles. During prohibition, everything went underground and most of the time they would have to deliver their product at night under the light of the moon, hence the name. Now, during the prohibition era, Chicago was really considered the center of illegal liquor activity, but it was the hills of the South that produced the life of this legend. Most of the moonshine came out of places like Dawson County, Georgia, Cook County, Tennessee, Franklin County, Virginia, and Wilkes County, North Carolina. Wilkes County at one time was the self-proclaimed moonshine capital of the world. I read that as early as 1890, people were referring to North Carolina as the old moonshine state. Because it was illegal and people were trying to remain incognito, exact numbers are hard to come by. But I did read from the late 1800s on, North Carolina ranked first, second, and third among the states in terms of steals destroyed, gallons of illicit liquor seized, and suspects arrested. Now, people who may not know any better may be picturing a bunch of old mountain men riding around the mountains at night on their horses, delivering jugs of moonshine. But horses are for amateurs. For the serious moonshiner, you had to have a good car. And a lot of bootleggers would rig out their cars, make more room for moonshine, or they would come up with clever ways of trying to hide the liquor better from the revenuers. A lot of times back seats were removed to make more room for liquor jugs. People would have trap doors in their cars that led to a secret compartment where they'd hide the liquor. And I even read a lot of people would drain their gas tank and clean it. And they'd store the moonshine in their gas tank and then have a hidden gas tank somewhere else on board. By the 1930s, Ford was the car to have if you were a moonshiner. It was pretty much the fastest car on the road at that time. This is actually the origin story of NASCAR. A lot of moonshiners would rig their cars up and they would test drive them around North Wilkesboro and they'd run moonshine between North Wilkesboro and Charlotte. So naturally, a lot of times they would challenge each other to a race. Eventually, a dirt track was built in North Wilkesboro. Legendary drivers like Junior Johnson and Curtis Turner were well-known bootleggers in the 50s. They say they would be winning entries at Saturday night events and running moonshine on Sunday morning. But the revenuers, they weren't sitting on their hands. They were confiscating cars and driving them as undercover vehicles. They were putting spikes on the road and setting up roadblocks. They were doing everything they could to catch these guys. Fortunately for the moonshiners, moonshine was a really profitable industry. So if they lost a jug here or there, it didn't matter. They could make the money up real quick. I read that if a bootlegger came around a curve in the road and spotted a roadblock, most of the time he would just abandon the vehicle and the moonshine to get away from the law. They say they could lose every third shipment of moonshine and still turn a really good profit. But despite the constant battle between the revenuers and the moonshiners, everything I read said they were pretty civil to each other. 
There's a really funny story I read about Amos Owens, who was a resident of Cherry Mountain. I'll talk about him a little bit later. But Amos, at one time, was considered one of the most notorious moonshiners in the state. They say the revenuers showed up at his place one day while he was loading up some of his famous cherry bounce. He offered the revenuers a drink, and for some reason they took it. One of them wandered out in the woods and passed out. The other one passed out in his living room floor. Amos didn't try to get away. He just sat there and waited for them to sober up. When they did and they came to, they arrested him and took him to jail. And after he got out, he went back home to Cherry Mountain and continued making his liquor. Now, I watched a really good interview on YouTube with Dan Pierce, who's a professor at UNC Asheville. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. But he talks about the misconceptions with moonshine. One major misconception is people always picture the moonshiner as an old man with a straw hat and a beard. He ain't got no teeth, but he's always up in the mountains. But actually, the moonshine business has been all over the country. Down in the Newburn area, they produced something they called monkey rum. And a lot of coastal plantations had distilleries that were operated by slaves. I read that a former slave supposedly taught Jack Daniels how to make liquor. According to Dan Pierce, black and Lumbee Indians made a lot of the liquor that moved around down east. Then there was Buffalo City. I had never heard of that before this research but this place seems really fascinating. But Buffalo City was a logging operation that started near the Alligator River in the 1880s. It grew into a big town, and the town finally shut down in the 50s when the logging industry kind of busted. But they said that every person in the town of Buffalo City owned and operated a steel, including the women. It was such a booming business that they were actually loading moonshine onto ships to sell all around the country and potentially all around the world. One final misconception about moonshine is that it really was a lot of women who made moonshine. Their husband would get killed off or just plain out leave, and they had to make some income somehow, so they would start growing their corn and making moonshine. Now, if you're wondering how to make moonshine, I'm going to give you some instructions, but don't go by me. Moonshine is pretty much poison. It's high in lead salts. It can make you go blind and even kill you. So if you really want to make moonshine, please don't go by this podcast. But here are the instructions on how to make it. Step one, get you some corn and grind it into cornmeal. Step two, the corn is soaked in hot water in your steel. Step three, you bring the steel up to 170 degrees Fahrenheit. Step four, this is where the alcohol evaporates. As pressure builds in the steel, the alcohol steam is forced through the cap arm, a pipe that leads out of the top of the steel. Step five is where your thump keg comes in. The thump keg is a heated barrel that the steam was forced into. A lot of times the steam would have solid material in it called mash, and this mash would drop into this barrel and make a thumping sound. That's why it's called the thump keg. But since the thump keg was hot, the alcohol inside the mash would evaporate and travel upwards again out of the thump keg. Step six, the steam from the thump keg would travel into the worm, which is a, a cold link to copper pipe, and it goes down inside the worm box. The worm box is pro 
probably a crate, usually a barrel, but it has cold water flowing into it. A lot of moonshiners use water from rivers or creeks. That's why a lot of times you'll see moonshine stills near a water source. It doesn't matter where you get the water as long as this barrel has cold water in it. So the, the worm, the copper pipe, goes down through the barrel and it's submerged in this cold water. But if you can keep the worm cool enough with the cold water, your alcohol steam will condense down into the liquid. Step seven, at the bottom of the worm box is usually a spout or a tap or a hose that leads from the worm box, usually through one more filter and then into a bucket. Step eight, the resulting clear liquid in the bucket is supposedly moonshine and is ready to be bottled and sold. Nowadays, they have what they call legal moonshine, and this is a debatable term because moonshine, by definition, is illegal. If you make legal moonshine, it's not moonshine at all, it's just liquor. But back in 2010, when the economy wasn't doing too good, a lot of Appalachian states found out they could profit from legalizing moonshine. I think they said Tennessee was the first to legalize white liquor, then Kentucky and Alabama. But eventually, moonshine was legal, and a lot of people went to the stores to start buying this stuff. I'm not sure if it really put a very big hurting on actual moonshine or not. I doubt it. But it is legal for you to own your own steel. I read you can buy one off the internet for like $800. But if you want to produce any alcohol on your own, you have to have a federal permit. Under the alternative fuel laws, you can make up to 10,000 gallons a year of ethanol, which is supposed to be put in your lawnmower, but what you do with your ethanol is your own business. Now I want to give you a short briefing on a, a few major moonshiners, people who got to be kind of famous in our state. The first one I want to tell you about, his name was Lewis Redmond. He's born in 1854 and started moonshining pretty young. In 1876, he murdered a U.S. Deputy Marshal named Alfred Duckworth near East Fork in Transylvania County. He fled to South Carolina and moonshined down there for a while. In 1879, he moved to Swain County. In 1881, he was captured and tried for violating the revenue law and for criminal conspiracy. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. In 1884, he got pardoned. In 1906, he died in Walhalla, South Carolina. Next is Popcorn Sutton. Popcorn was probably the most famous moonshiner from our state, probably because he, he made a few autobiographies and he was featured in several documentaries. Some of them he produced himself. But he was born on October 5th in 1946. He made moonshine for pretty much most of his life. By the time he turned 60, they called him the Liquor King in 1999, he published the autobiography, Me and My Liquor. He made a film appearance in 2002. In 2007, his documentary, Hillbilly, The Real Story, hit TV. In January 2009, he was charged with illegal distillation of spirits and firearm possession. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison. However, on March 16, 2009, he committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. I read they said he did this to avoid a prison term that was supposed to start in a few days. Then there was Percy Flowers, 
who was born in 1903. He grew corn and tobacco on 5,000 acres, and eventually he started making moonshine out of his corn, and he hid his steels in his tobacco barns. His first brush with the law came in 1935 when he and his brothers assaulted a treasury agent. His brothers served time for the incident, but Flowers got out of jail after three days when a judge stayed his sentence. He got in trouble again in 1957 when agents searched his store. They seized his safe and its contents, which supposedly had a lot of cash in it. The judge found Flowers guilty of contempt and for publicly beating another agent in the courthouse lobby. Six months in a federal pen, and he was out again. That six months in prison was the longest term Flowers ever did in his life. He farmed well into the 70s, and he died in 1982. Now, let's talk about Amos Owens. He's probably one of my favorite moonshiners, just because he seemed like a really cool guy. Well, he began his career distilling before the Civil War even started. He served in the war, so he had to take a break. But after the war, he came back home to Cherry Mountain, and he began making something they called Cherry Bounce. I don't think I've ever had any Cherry Bounce or anything like Cherry Bounce, but they say it was a really good liquor made of corn, whiskey, crushed cherries, and honey. They say people from all over the country would come just to get this Cherry Bounce. And every year in Rutherford County, in June, they would have a big celebration when the cherries got ripe. When Amos Owens was in the 70s, he was sent to prison one last time. It was just a short stay in prison, but after this, he gave up making moonshine and started going to church. And that pretty much wraps up this episode on moonshine. I hope it was educational if it wasn't entertaining. But before you go, I just want to remind you, this is a North Carolina podcast. It's not just about North Carolina, it's about North Carolinians. My point is, if you have a good story to tell and it's appropriate for the show, I'll try to find a place for it. You can contact the show by going to our website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. There you'll see links to our Twitter and our Facebook and probably our Instagram when I get that going. And you can send us a message there, tell us your story, or just say hello. The email address for the show will also be there. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Everybody take care, and I'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.